This is Salt and Spine. The word that that comes to mind actually is pleasure. I think I'm just in pursuit of pleasure because that's what food is for me. It is really my happy point in the day. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Odette Williams. Hailing from Australia before moving to the United States, Odette put her acting career on hold and soon found herself pursuing a career centered on food. First, it was designing kids' aprons, which were sold through brands like Goop and Anthropology. Now a full-time food writer and author, Odette's work has been published in everywhere from Forbes to Savour. Her new column for the Wall Street Journal, called Party Trick, focuses on the best recipes and tips for easy entertaining at home. Now, Odette's first cookbook, Simple Cake, quickly became a top bestseller with its simple and create-your-own-adventure approach to everyday cake baking. And now she's followed it up with her second cookbook. This one, titled Simple Pasta, takes a similar approach, centered on fresh pasta and how to build enticing meals around it. It's chock full of hunger-inducing and, in her word, unpreened recipes and loads of ideas for feeding yourself or having people over. Think classics like a cacio e pepe to inventive takes like a spaghetti with sun-kissed tomatoes, ricotta, and crispy prosciutto. Plus, she's got cocktails, starters, salads, and desserts to round it all out. It's, in fact, perhaps the first cookbook I've ever seen with a first-person love letter to pasta. Subscribe to our Substack to hear Odette read it aloud exclusively for us. In today's show, we're talking with Odette about how she settled into this career, about the success of her simple books, and why pasta is sometimes better for serving two than 20. And of course, we're putting her to the test in our signature culinary game, and you can bet it's pasta-themed this week. Paid subscribers will receive access to two delicious recipes from the book. Later this week on our Substack, you'll find recipes for Odette's winter chicories salad and a stunning garganelli with vodka sauce. You can subscribe for just a few dollars a month to receive bonus recipes and special content like essays, Q&As with chefs and authors, and author-read excerpts from the cookbooks we feature. So now let's head to our studio at San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, where Odette Williams joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Odette. Thank you for joining us on Salt and Spine. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thrilled to have you to talk about your latest cookbook, your second cookbook, Simple Pasta, which we'll get to in a minute. But we always like to start by talking a little bit about you and how you got to this career and a little bit more about your life. So uh, you grew up in Australia, yeah, and in sort of a beach town in Australia. Yeah, I did. I, I grew up, I was born just north of Sydney, and it was like a coastal beach town. And I moved around quite a bit as a kid. I went to, I lived in Canberra, I lived in Sydney, I lived on the West Coast. Okay. But Sydney really is, has been home. It's where we return to. It's where mom, our parents are. But I wish that Australia was closer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not an easy It's not easy an trip. easy, it's yeah. not an easy trip. And, yeah. and the beach life is still very much in my DNA and, and what I seek out. Okay. Yeah. Which we definitely see in your latest cookbook a little bit. We'll get to that. Um, but can you talk about your relationship to food as you were growing up then? What kind of memories do you have about food? I know in particular, you write in this book that you'd have a, a weekly Italian dinner at the local restaurant on Friday nights, right, with your, your family? Yeah, I mean, I I come from a family that I had a lot of good cooks in the family and food was important. Like, 
my mother, when I look back on it, was actually pretty adventurous as a cook. She would, even though we were living in this little suburban, humble dwelling, she would make souffle or, you know, like on a weeknight or we'd Mm -hmm. have even, (laughs) we'd have like crumbed lamb's brains with white sauce. You know, like really when I think back on it, it was like, Oh my goodness. Wow, and, yeah. and and my brother and I just sat down and we ate it. Like yeah. and I think about even my kids now, if I served them up that, <laughs> they would be like, you know, all hell would break loose. <laughs> yeah. So so I had I had my mum who was really an adventurous cook. And then my aunts were all very much into food. And and then it was at the time when there wasn't really the takeout culture that there is now. There wasn't mm-hmm. the dining out culture. Really, there was essentially two types of restaurants that you could go to, or three. There would be the Italian restaurant, mm-hmm. the Chinese restaurant, uh-huh. and maybe there would be like a kind of French restaurant bistro, which was like a little bit more high end. But sure. the Italian um, community is really big in Australia because there was a lot of immigrants that came out and think that like they just infused this food scene that i mean if you go to australia today they just amazing you know pasta gelato yeah. and and i think that what the italian influence had on me was that my mum would we were kids and we would go to this this trieste that i talk about in the intro to the book sure and we would go in our dressing gowns. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like my mum would bathe us uh-huh. and then we, we'd get in our dressing gowns because inevitably they would want to stay on and have some wine and right. we would fall asleep. And and it was this sense of this extension of the family home. The fact mm. that, that she felt she could bring her kids like that to the restaurant and that we felt so at home that it... it it really kind of stuck with me because it's that that feeling of being welcome. Yeah. And she always like said, oh my goodness, they're so good with children. And you never felt like, and as I say in the book, like you go out with your kids and you're like, oh my goodness, it can go sideways very quickly, especially when right. they're young. Right. You know? uh-huh. And it, they were unflappable. You know, it yeah. was like, no problem. And, and they always had a way, like they had a chubba chub uh, lollipop stand, okay. you know, that kind of yes. like hovered over <laughs> the restaurant and you knew as a kid, like if you played, you know, your cards right, you might get one of those yeah, at the end right. of the night. <laughs> so I think, I think my food experience from Australia was very much like about being welcome, uh, having a sense of ease and no kind of airs and graces. Mm-hmm. And, and food really was like, like a meritocracy in the sense that you could cook anything you wanted to cook, you could tackle any recipe you wanted to tackle, and you didn't feel intimidated by, by like, I'm, you know, I, what I find often is people say, oh, I'm not a baker sure. or I'm not a – you don't hear that in Australia as much, I don't think. Okay. People are just willing to, to try things or just there's not that pretension? I think it's more that people are willing to try things mm-hmm. because we, I often reference like people like Donna Hay and Bill Granger and there yeah. was this other publication called The Woman's Weekly and they had recipes that were so well written and so buttoned up, so tested that even if you didn't cook it to perfection, you yeah. still had a success. 
Yeah. And and I think that emboldened people to try new recipes, to be to to be brave, to to value like Australians are always like working for the weekend. So we value, mm-hmm. okay, what am I gonna cook this weekend? Sure. You know, I'm having those friends over. So I think it's more that I and that's what I actually really value in recipes is like a really well written recipe that mm-hmm. is going to work mm-hmm. so you have success. Right. So I, I think that is a very and oh can I just geek out on the yeah, recipe? Yeah. <laughs> Please. <more>. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the other thing that they did in the recipes is they really wrote it with a, an economy of words. Okay. So it it felt very like doable and approachable okay they they assumed that the cook had a certain amount of knowledge and that that meant that there was less words on a page which when you're at home just looks like oh i could do this right yeah yeah simple and accessible simple 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 um this is the the women's weekly that you're talking recipes that you're talking about yeah and they had a a series of cookbooks right and i know one of them the children's birthday cake book you had growing up and was somewhat of an inspiration for your first book simple cake right oh that that book is iconic in Australia. It, uh-huh. I mean, it, it, I think it sold like over a million copies back in the day. Okay. You know, it was really successful. And it just had all this, I mean, the, the premise of it is that there's just this one cake recipe and there's like two or three toppings. And then sure. they show you all these different ways where you can spin it into these kids' cakes. Sure. And you could even use a box cake if you wanted to and I loved that idea because mm-hmm. uh, as I say in simple cake my father who was divorced made me a birthday cake and he was not a baker right you know right. and I, yet he felt like you know what I can tackle this I can tackle this cake I love how the a simple act of baking someone a cake or cooking for someone it is just pure love. Mm-hmm. And I say how simple cake came about was not only did I see the concept of the Woman's Weekly Cookbook as being an excellent structure, and so in Simple Cake I do, like, here's these 10 cakes, here's these 15 toppings. Right. You can mix and match. They're all buttoned up. You can go to town or here's some other creative ways how you can mix and match them. Mm-hmm. But also how Simple Cake came about into into action was that my father had died and I went back to Australia and we were we were preparing stuff for his funeral and I we were going through all these photos and I found this photo of he and I in the backyard and, and we're with this cake that he'd made okay and I was just devastated you know yeah. I was like oh my goodness like I need to write this book now yeah because I realize this is everything this yeah. is why we cook, and I never got to thank him for the cake, yeah. you know, and it just killed me. Yeah. So I think it's that magic between when you make something really simple for someone, you allow these experiences or these memories. Sure. Yeah, I love that. Before you got into food, this was not your, your first career, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think originally you were working as an actress for some time, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious to, to know the sort of the trajectory of how you got to writing a couple cookbooks. So you're, you're working in Australia as an actress for a while? Yeah, I, um, I trained my degree. I uh, was in theater and uh-huh. 
I used to teach drama okay. at NIDA and uh, Australian Theatre for Young People, which are two great organisations down there. Um, but like, like any actress, you do a gazillion other jobs sure. yes. <laughs> to pay your rent. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> and so I, um, I worked in bookstores okay. <clears throat> often. Okay. And, um, and it's actually where I met my husband. I met my husband in the bookstore I was okay. working. Okay. And I think I just have always loved books. They've always been cherished in my household. Yeah. And my father was a librarian. I mean, it's funny. I, I, Life's funny how you end up on these paths, right? You yeah. go from acting to writing cookbooks. and mm-hmm. and But I think the through line, and maybe I'm only just realizing this now, is that it's storytelling. Uh-huh. And it's sure. like trying to bring a community together for shared experience. Sure. And I think that I can't, you can't plot your own path, can you? Because I... I think it was it was actually around the time that I moved to America that I decided I don't want to do acting anymore. I was pregnant with my daughter. I was like, oh, I'm done with going for the, the butter commercial. Right. And I'd always been writing and I'd always been, over the years I'd studied playwriting and screenwriting and started, studied the classics. And I and actually when I go back to my mum's house, I always find these, she keeps a lot of our childhood memory stuff. Right. And like, I just had always been writing new words that I wanted to learn on a scrap of paper. Okay. So I think I had, and even when I was young, I'd like, I, I, I remember I asked for a typewriter okay. and I like, I mm-hmm. wrote, I wrote stories on this typewriter. Yeah. And then speaking of like Donna Hay, when I was growing up, she really just like blew it out of the water in terms of what she did with, the aesthetics around food and food photography and it was just so appealing and so approachable mm-hmm. and and I think I always knew that I wanted to that I lived in that space that I gravitated towards it yeah and it's interesting life just spat me out in the right path like I had had all that it's like this is a crazy silly thing but I always think about it is when Steve Jobs says about um, typography. Okay. He apparently loved typography. Uh-huh. Went and did, you know, a course in it. Yeah. Did it become his career? No. But if you look at the Apple products and the marketing, it's that attention to detail that then yeah. comes through his work. And yeah. I kind of feel that with with acting and, and writing is like sometimes I see playwriting and the economy of it. And I can also relate to that because there's an economy in recipe writing. Sure. So it's interesting how things filter through. Yeah. Uh-huh. How those, those skills carry over. The typography in your new book is just lovely too. Oh Simple God. pasta, that, that oh. typography inside. I know. Isn't it beautiful. the most beautiful type? Yes. Yes. I also, I'm not super well-versed in typography, but I know a great typeface when I see one. <laughs> Honestly, like the the designer Rachel found that type, and I just immediately was like, "That's it." Yeah, it's beautiful. So you give up acting almost immediately when you move to New York. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of funny, isn't it? Because most Cold people turkey. would like be like, "All right, now I'm on Broadway. Right, let me go." <laughs> yeah, but you were you were ready to be done, and you start writing. You start. I know you designed some some aprons, an apron line for children as, as your kids are starting to cook with you more. Like, tell us a little bit about what comes next. Yeah, and- so then then I, I have my children mm-hmm. and 
a friend comes and visits me from Australia and she brings this gift for my daughter Opal, who's, you know, like probably three at the time. Okay. And she was like at that age where she's always like banging around in the kitchen with the pots and pans while I cook. And, sure. and, and this was like this little apron set and it, and it was like cheesy and it was vinyl and, but she loved it. Yeah. You know, like it was just like, she would wear it outside. She'd you know, yeah. dress up in it. She was yeah. just like, she'd stuff little toys in its front pocket, uh-huh. you know, like yeah. half of the time it was like a cape more than, right. Right. than an right. apron. <laughs> right. But, and I, and it was at the time when we were going to all these children's birthday parties, being invited to these children's birthday parties. And sure. I was like, you know what? I'm always looking for a gift. This is actually a great gift. Yeah. Like how do I, how do I redesign this? so that it's in a natural cotton, that it's more of a keepsake. And, and because we were living, you know, in Brooklyn, I could get into Manhattan to the garment district. And so I just kind of hustled and yeah. figured out a way to get a pattern made and find the fabric and find a screen printer. And I just, I made a, I made a small round of them and then I took them to the Brooklyn flea market just to kind of see what the temperature gauge on it was and, and it was great. And then I kind of started wholesaling. It was, it was once again, a little bit of an accidental business Okay. and it got picked up by J crew and anthropology and other stores that I really liked. And once again, it was just kind of like the timing of it was where I was at in life. I was very deep in motherhood. Uh-huh. I was spending a lot of time cooking with small kids, yeah. trying to find ways to entertain them. And, and so, yeah, so then, <laughs> so then I became the apron lady. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, uh, the kids' apron lady. The kids' apron lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know it's true. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then uh-huh. it was from there, actually, that, the the timing of one of the one of the women at 10 speed or even a few of them had the kids aprons or had gifted the kids aprons so they knew of my work that way then after my father died and I came back from Australia and I was like I have to press play on this book yeah Uh, you know and then this is what's great is like I I wasn't like I didn't set out to go you know what I'm gonna write and I'm gonna pitch a cookbook and Mm -hmm. it was more like I know this format that I want to do. I think it needs to be redone. Sure. Um, it's ready for a revamp. And also more than, more than anything, it was just my grief that I, I really just had to tell this story. And yeah. I, I sat down and started writing and, and I luckily was introduced to another woman who had worked in publishing and she just kind of helped me shape the, proposal and and send it out on my behalf because once again I even though I'd come from the acting world so I kind of understood agents and yeah. casting directors I really didn't know the literary world around it sure and in a way that was so liberating in in retrospect yeah because I when you know nothing it's there's so much freedom in that yeah I didn't I wasn't attached to the idea of like oh I hope this gets picked up or you know, oh, I have this agent in mind, right? Um, and to to my to my really good fortune, um, I think when you have an idea and there's a very big heart behind it, mm-hmm. someone receives that. Yeah, some. I mean, someone did receive it. It it was published, and 
the, I guess the world, not to sound too cliche, but the world received it, right? I mean, you had a lot of wonderful coverage and press and feedback and positive reception when Simple Cake was published. Did you expect that to be the reaction to the book? I mean, it was, was really highly praised. I, I did not, actually. I don't know what I expected. All I knew was when I, was, when I had submitted it and done everything, and I was like in the couple of months before it comes out, right. all of a sudden fear just like struck me mm-hmm. in a way that I had never been struck by before. Yeah. I was yeah. like, what is wrong with me? And I realized that I had felt like I had really exposed myself in the opening your life up, your stories, sure. your past, your history, and it wasn't really just about the recipes and and I did I guess I did wonder like oh my goodness I feel I feel vulnerable yeah. right now and yeah. and then it was a lovely feeling to to have people relate to what you wanted to share uh-huh. um I don't think it I don't think any success ever really sinks in for me Okay. I don't know why. <laughs> you just go glaze past it kind of? I don't know. I just like, I struggle to, it's like you struggle to see your own life, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's true. Like, yeah. even now, I'm, I'm in a very similar moment right now with this second book. Sure. I often say like, just tell me what's happening in my life because I can't tell you right now. Right, right. <laughs> and is that because you're in the moment? Like when you reflect back now on Simple Cake, do you... Do you think more about that success and realize more of that or? It's funny. I, I saw Simple Cake, the copy of the book at a friend's house recently. And I think I looked at it for the first time with fresh eyes. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. I joke to some of my friends when you, you get an advanced copy. Right. And when the advanced copy came for the simple, simple, I was like an animal to it. <laughs> I was like a suspicious animal and I kind of circled it uh-huh. and then, you know, kind of came at it and I put it over there uh-huh. and I, you know, like kind of sniffed it out. Right. I don't know what it was. And it's like, it's just, it's, um, it's very surreal yeah. to see this thing that you, because that's the thing you work so well, I do anyway, obsessively on it sure. for that year. Sure. Like, that is all I think about really is every single aspect of that book, yeah. you know, from, cause I really also love like the design and the photography and putting the whole picture together that I think when you're so like deep in it, it is really hard to, well, it's hard for me to, to get a perspective. Yeah. And none of that feeling that surrealness, none of that fear that you had right before publication stopped you from writing a second book. You decided you wanted to do another one and it would be savory, right? Well, you know what's crazy? He's, um, this is me being really candid. I actually, after Simple Cake, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll get the opportunity to write another. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, like I right. was I was very much like not under the impression like, oh, yeah, I can just roll out another one. Right. You know, like, okay, I've got to have a, an idea that has a merit to, you know, getting publication, sure. you know. Um What's interesting is I I love it when I'm in the work. When I'm actually in the work, it's like I'm so completely, you know, absorbed by it that I'm I'm yeah, not in any way fearful. I'm just loving it and just I mean that's that's 
that's my favorite part of it, just doing the work. The whole process, the the concept, the recipe development, the laying out, working with the team. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. I mean that the 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 favorite, favorite part of it is the for me, the photo shoots. Sure. When you go to actually because I'm such a visual person, usually when I especially when I started Simple Pasta, mm-hmm. I had a very few like images that were kind of the true north to where I wanted to take it. And yeah. they were like these 1950s black and white photos from like Sophia Loren and Arthur yeah. Miller, Marilyn Monroe having dinner in a hotel room and yeah. bottles of wine and black dresses. And there was like a feeling of La Dolce Vita. And right. because we were in COVID and we weren't having La Dolce Vita, right. I pursued that even more. And so I knew straight away I wanted there to be black and white photography, which I hadn't seen in a cookbook for like a while. Sure. I actually advocated for, I wanted it to be a black and white cover. Oh, really? But, okay. But, oh, yeah. um, but I think the publisher was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that looks pretty There's delicious. There's a lot of market research that goes <laughs> yeah, into the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to eat that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, You've been posting some of these photos that inspired you on your Instagram too. People can check them out, right? Yeah. The Sophia Loren photo in a farmhouse making a giant steaming bowl of pasta. And, yeah. yeah. And I loved the like kind of lived in feeling of it with, I think that, We'd gone through this period um, where sometimes we'd seen these like perfect tablescapes and everything was immaculate. And right. and I really responded to when we shot the book, I was like, I want to, and this is the actor in me. It's like, I'm, I'm more interested in what are these people saying? Uh-huh. What have they talked about? Like who's flirting with who, uh-huh. like, or who's in love with who here at this right. table? Right. You know? And, and so I'm far more curious about, the individuals there and had the food is just facilitating, you know, these relationships. And and I saw that in these photos too. Like I'd, you know, I'd read Arthur Miller's biography and Marilyn's biography and I knew of their like complicated marriage Mm -hmm. and the affairs. And I saw that energy in these photos. Yeah. Um, So it was such a joy to actually then bring it to life. Yeah. No, I understand you actually did not make homemade pasta until you were 40. Mm-hmm. And now here we are with your simple pasta book. Can you talk about the story of how that changed? What what inspired you to get into fresh pasta? Yeah, I um, it was kind of crazy that I had not made my own pasta till yeah. I was 40. And this is coming from like someone who like I ate pasta five nights a week uh-huh. pretty much my entire life. Sure. And... I think because the dry stuff is so convenient and so good yeah. that there's really no, no need to in yeah. many ways. And yeah. I think if, you, if you're not taught, so say if someone actually doesn't show you how to do it, which no one had shown me how to do it, it just, just never occurred to me that how easy and simple it actually is yeah. and how much delight I would get. And then when I, then when I did make it, and I unlocked that. It was like one of those things where it's like, it's just good for you. It's like gardening or anything you do with your hands. It's like good for your soul. Yeah. And not only that, at the end of it, you get this like sublime, delicious meal. That, sure. You know, like if you told me, told me that I'd make tortellini in my lifetime and I mean, I, I squealed <laughs> with delight. Like the first yeah. time I like, did a tortellini. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my goodness. And then. 
And then it's funny because we lived in New York and then we came out to San Francisco for three years and, and we were all in this transition period. And, and so I started making a lot of homemade pasta for us because it really just grounded us and uh-huh. it, 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 it made us feel, you know, like settled and loved and sure. my kids settled. And, and it was my editor, Kelly, who saw me on Instagram making a lot of pasta uh-huh. <laughs> and she was like oh, dad you make it look so simple and easy and i said well that's because it is yeah it really is simple and easy and i am legitimately making this on a tuesday night yeah and that's when i realized i have something to teach like i'm a good cook so if i'm in this you know situation there must be many and right. and so i really then like loved the challenge of a bit like with the baking is like how do I make this really simple and approachable and easy for people how do I cheerlead them into this great life skill you approached it in a very similar way to simple cake right you have you sort of start the book with these you know building blocks here you you focus on three sort of essential doughs egg pasta gnocchi and a semolina pasta dough and then how you translate that into shapes. You have a couple sort of, you know, base sauces and things. And then beyond that, just sort of the book explodes with recipes and menus that build on those things. But was that sort of a conscious decision again to really focus on kind of those building blocks like you did with Simple Cake? Yeah, it was. I, um, uh, Kelly, my editor, was really terrific in that she made the suggestion, look, I think we should offer store-bought options as well. Mm-hmm. And I was fully on board for that. Um, and so, so then we knew we needed to kind of like have a section of the book that when you did want to tackle fresh pasta, it was there in a really concise way without it being like, you know, mastering something more kind of like relaxed, approachable. But for those nights when you really did just want to reach for, you know, your store-bought pasta, you could just ignore that little section yeah. and go straight to the recipes. Yeah. And it is funny that both books have that format, but I like the way then you can dip in and out of what you need. Mm-hmm. And then you can also understand like, oh, okay, I could just make the gnocchi and put it with this pesto or right. like I could, you know, make an, an egg dough and put it with a great red sauce. Right. So I really like my books to be really hardworking. I think they are. <laughs> I think you achieved that. Um, I think they do have those building blocks and just, you know, so much inspiration and in the menus and the recipes for people to just really feel inspired. Both of them focus on sort of comfort foods, right? I think Mm-hmm. Cake and pasta to me both feel like huge comfort foods. Is that something you've spent a lot of much time thinking about? You know, the word that that comes to mind actually is pleasure. Uh huh. I I think I'm just in pursuit of pleasure. That's what food is for me. It, yeah. It is. It is really my happy point in the day. Like I'm I'm one of those souls who. Even as a kid, my mum used to say, I, I'd wake up, we'd be getting ready for school, and I'd say, what are we going to have for dinner? Sure. And she would say, oh, Dad, just please, <laughs> just have breakfast. Yeah. And I would say to her, no, because if I know there's a really good meal at the end of the day, like that day is already rewired to be a good one because yeah. I have something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and my father was a bit the same. Like he would, a, a cappuccino would make him happy, uh-huh. you know, or yeah. like a slice of like lemon pie. And yeah. And so what I'm in pursuit of, I think, is really pleasure and 
my other happy place is I just want to live my life like feeding all my family and friends, having one continual long party. Yeah. Like <laughs> I wish my life was just one long continual dinner party. Yeah. And so I really – that's another part of why I want my food and my recipes to be simple because that's – that's only one aspect of it. Really what it's about is us all sitting down together, is us having fun, is it us being with everyone that we love. Yeah. And and just I never want the party to end. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> A lifelong dinner party. Seriously. Seriously. Yeah. So I really like that for me is my happy place. Yeah. It's like when I think about my happiest memories, it's like even from a kid, it was like falling asleep on my aunt's lap and the adults all chattering and talking. And, sure. And, and now like my children are listening to, to my husband and I do that. And, sure. And, and when I'm in those, when I'm feeding people or having people over, I don't have a care in the world. Yeah. All my other worries just disappear. Yeah. Not a lot of people are like that. <laughs> a lot of people feel a lot of anxiety about entertaining. So I, I, I love that people have your books to turn to for, for that feeling of um, comfort and pleasure. Maybe contrary to that, though, in, in terms of entertaining and hosting people, you write in the book, if truth be told, you prefer to make fresh pasta for just one or two people. Can you talk about why that's a preference for you? Yeah, because I... I well, for a start, there's an economy. When you make less, you'll be so surprised how quickly you can bust that out. Yeah. There's there's less dough, there's less rolling time. But also, too, like if you think about pasta restaurants, they make it per order. Right. And so, you know, when you see, you know, like Missy Robbins, she's just tossing a single serve, you sure. know. And, there, and that's how you really, like, nail fresh pasta yeah. on a, on a, not so much the baked lasagnas and cannellonis, but like, like a carbonara or, you know, something, even just, I have in the book, good pasta, good butter, yeah. end of story. Right. Because, I love that recipe. <laughs> no, because, fresh pasta and butter. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it really is because you've made something so luxurious yeah. in, the, in the egg dough that it yeah. really does just need a great like knob of European butter and like a bit of parmesan and, right. you know, like you're a happy, happy person. Right. And so I think it just makes it manageable. And once again, I think it's about treating yourself. Mm -hmm. It's about just saying, you know what, like I'm going to give myself that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it just feels, it just does feel far more manageable. Yeah. Um, and I think that honestly, that this is me just geeking out on technique is that it's where you can really emulsify and get that kind of creamy sauce with the pasta when there's less to have to kind of like move around. Sure. Yeah. Anything else that surprised you as a person who didn't make fresh pasta until later in your life um, as you were writing this book? Anything that was like eye-opening to you? That's a good question. Probably the thing that really surprised me, which is no surprise, is pasta just is a vehicle for whatever's in season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it can go with just so much outside of the usual suspects of your bolognese, your red sauce. Right. One of the recipes is the potato gnocchi with the asparagus and miso butter sauce. Yeah. And, and it's so good. It's so simple. It's so easy. And I could basically swap out that asparagus with 
so many other things. Sure. Like I could put in snap peas, you know, yeah. I could run with, you know, um, beans that have been blanched or like charred right. or, and I, I realized, I think just how versatile it is for the seasons, yeah. which is why I've structured the book seasonally. seasonally. Yeah. Right. We're a show on cookbooks, so I always like to ask if there are other cookbooks or authors who have been meaningful to you. We've mentioned a couple from your childhood, but, you know, as you're writing books of your own or, or people who you really turn to. Oh, another good question. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard one, too, because Sorry, so I know, I know. It's hard to <laughs> narrow it down, yeah. Well, I'm going to say the, the first cookbook I bought with my own paycheck was Nigel Slater's Real Food. Okay. And... Yeah. And I think to this day that book still is timeless. Yeah. Uh, I think the way it was shot, you know, close up on the ingredients with, with like potato, cheese, pork, sure. you know, yeah. like I think um, – and, I, and I, I felt like I was his friend. So mm -hmm. I feel I – With feel, his writing. With his writing. Yeah. I really felt like he was a friend of mine. Yeah. And that he was in the kitchen with me with this very gentle, warm, but assuring voice. Sure. And he really, I think, had, in terms of voice of writing too and the type of recipes. Um, and then Ina Garten, mm -hmm. I, I used to watch her show with the kids when they were young because I found it so relaxing and yeah. reassuring and, and even the kids would sit there and watch it with me. Yeah. And I always felt like oh, I could do that. And I think that's so important to let the, the, like the barrier of entry be right there for people, yeah. you know, to like cheerlead them into this, like you can do this. And, yeah. And and the other part is with both of those cookbook authors, you you always have success. Right. Those recipes you are always going to work. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and I mean, there's lots of lots of other cookbook writers that I like adore and love. But I think actually, it's funny. Nigel Sater and Ina have that warmth. I think is possibly mm -hmm. what I gravitate towards. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, well, we always end with a little game, so I have some cards next to you, and I thought we would play a Can We Pasta It game. Um, you know, we just <laughs> talked about how pasta is really a vehicle for so many things and really a blank canvas, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking we can work with what we have and, and make some pasta. So um, there's four decks here. We have flavors, which are herbs and spices, uh, vegetables, proteins, and then the secret ingredients can be kind of, you know, obscure or just a random item. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought maybe you draw one from each mm -hmm. um, of the four, and that's what you have to work with today. And mm -hmm. if we can put together a pasta dish or a pasta menu with the, those items, how I does that, that sound? I love okay. That. All right, let's see what All we're right, working I'm gonna, with. I'm going to treat it like tarot, not take from the top. Okay, yes. I did <laughs> shuffle, but please take from within. <laughs> oh, duck. Wow. Okay, duck. Duck. Oh, my God. Duck and mint. I'm already at a ragu. Okay, uh-huh. Sure. Um, I can see that. What have we got here? Bell pepper. Okay. All right. And our wild card. Sea urchin. Oh, oh okay. my goodness. All right. We're going to have <laughs> oh, to have a starter. Sea urchin. Okay. Yeah. We can have a starter. Can for we sure. have a starter and then a, yes, and then a, yes. all right. Sea urchin. Wow. Well, I'm going to be honest. I would 
wouldn't put sea urchin in, in any of my cookbooks because I think it would be too hard for a home maybe, cook. Yeah. For a home cook. Mm-hmm. But you know what I would probably do with sea urchin? I've really been getting into crudos, aguachiles, yeah. very simple, simple treatment of seafood, like yeah. raw just kissed by citrus sure so i would probably with the sea urchin take that approach and i also think i love to like balance out a meal where you've got either start with cool and then with warm or Mm -hmm. you like have a kind of palate cleanser or something just light to kind of like wet the appetite so i'd probably with the sea urchin just put it on ice and it would look all beautiful yeah. and you know it'd be like a jewel yeah uh-huh um and then i would definitely serve a cocktail with that uh-huh as i say in the book like we need to give the night an engine yes uh-huh <laughs> a then, starter and a cocktail yeah. always so yeah starter and a cocktail always yes uh-huh and then i've got duck mint and bell peppers i would either do a couple of things i would Maybe slow cook some onions in the bell pepper. Okay. And caramelize them up for like, you know, 25 minutes. Sure. Then I would probably then ragu the duck. Okay. Um, and then the mint in there actually would be a nice little like surprise yeah. ticket. You know, it'd give it like a sense of like it's alive, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Freshness, um, yeah. And I would probably just serve it with a papadel. With a papadel, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or the other thing I would do is I'd make the duck ragu and I would I would grill the bell peppers and okay. then maybe just have them kind of like as a side or even just on top. Okay. Oh, yeah. I love that. One more round to close us out. Oh, my goodness. I like this <laughs> I love game. that. I love this game, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The Can We Pasta It game. Oh, all right. Let's see. I'm not very creative with Ooh, my names. Tofu. It's always Can We X or Y. Tofu. tofu. Okay. That, that's, that's one that you don't see often with pasta. Nutmeg. Oh, my goodness. This okay. is going to be mm. like a... This is a challenge. Sweet mm. potato. Oh, I feel very like I, warm. I, I feel like I should be more in the, like, making stir fries. Yeah. This. Scrapple. Oh, wow. Okay. Pork scraps or cornmeal cooked in gruel poured into a pan. Think cheap meatloaf. Oh, my goodness. Okay. We gave you a first uh, round that was easy. Yeah, <laughs> now, now we've got we're... a challenge for you. All right. What are we doing here? I would do, I think maybe I'd try and figure, I'd try and figure the tofu into like a panna cotta something. I'd maybe oh, try okay. and I'd try and maybe find a dessert option. Yeah, I can for see the that. texture of the tofu. Sure. So all right, tofu's dessert, and so is a nutmeg. Then okay, mm-hmm. it'd probably be like a simple. If I could, if I could do like a vanilla nutmeg, yeah, something like sure. that. Yeah. Um. All right. Then I've got then I've got my scrapple and my sweet <laughs> potatoes. Um, what would I do? I would maybe make sweet potato gnocchi. Okay, sure, yeah. And I'd do a brown butter sage simple treatment of that. Yeah. And then maybe I would either do this pork like a, treat it like a slow cook as well or a bolognese or I could do like a, I could do a meatloaf. I just, uh. I don't know if I'm like crazy about meatloaf. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, 
I feel like I'd go more towards like a little meatball. You know what I'd do with this, actually? I would make meatballs. Okay. And I would put like raisins and pine nuts and uh, lots of fresh herbs. Yeah. I'd soak some like um, great old sourdough. Yeah. And like moisten them up with that. And I'd I'd get the mint from that was okay. left over yeah. from the previous meal. Sure, sure. <laughs> Put some in maybe. <laughs> sure. With lots of fresh parsley. So actually, that's what I would yeah, do. I would I do like that. meatballs uh-huh. with lots of flavor, simple red sauce. Yeah. We'd have a starter of the fried gnocchi, and okay. I'd probably serve that like I do in simple pasta. I have like fried gnocchi. Yeah. I'd maybe, that's what I'd do. I'd do this as the starter, and I'd serve it with some prosciutto. Like okay. just a simple, yeah. like maybe sure. a cornichon or a you know, something pickled and tangy. Sure. And then, yeah. And then we'd have a kind of tofu, tofu slash panicotta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm sold on that. but <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty good menu. I don't know. I, I see it. I see it. <laughs> this is actually very good fun. It makes you think. Yeah. Well, thank you for playing along. And thank you so much for being on Salt and Spina Debt. Oh, thank you for having me. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our Substack, which you can find at saltandspine.substack.com. There you'll find two featured recipes from Simple Pasta, Winter Chicories, and Garganelli with Vodka Sauce. For just a few dollars a month, you'll get tons of exclusive and bonus content from recipes, cookbook excerpts, essays, and more. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. We also love to see your ratings on iTunes. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Clea Worcester. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney, and the Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books, and to Monique Lamas at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love.